0: This is so fun. Can I just say that? You can cut it out if you want.
1: No, we'll keep that.
0: so fun.
1: <laughs> this is going to be 80% of their episode is just a repeat of you saying how fun this oh is. Oh
0: my gosh. I just Everyone listening needs to grab a beer and just enjoy the shit out of this because it's memories, it's sentimental, and you guys are just awesome. Thank you Thank for you having me. Thank you very much.
1: What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s?
0: beanie babies or crack babies will it be nirvana or madonna
2: maybe britney maybe whitney do you like new metal or new wave dave Grohl or super dave i don't know but now the battle begins dueling decades let's see who wins dueling decades podcasting from the podcast new york studios it's the adult only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history we just fight for it welcome back to dueling decades i am mark james and for this week's special horror theme duel i will be representing 1998 so let's take a look at this week's other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for first off He's the awesome amalgamation of all the alpha males in 80s horror flicks. Please welcome back to the show, Man Crush.
3: Thank you very much. And you know what? That's what I dressed like tonight. I didn't know Felissa was going to be on camera with us, so I did this for you guys. But I look like the asshole in every horror movie who usually dies first. But I could be the hero because look at this shitty beard that I can't grow. That's so people oh, will feel yeah. sorry for me. It's like a handicap. But anyhow. Uh, I have uh, 1996
2: in horror, so watch out. Also on the panel, he is the host of the Miscast Commentary Podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Joe Finley.
1: Hi, everybody, and I'm here to scare the shit out of you with 1984.
2: (laughs) (laughs) As always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. And tonight, you will know this week's special celebrity guest judge from her iconic role as Angela Baker in the cult classic Sleepaway Camp, as well as films such as Victor Crowley in Death House, and as the mangled dick expert in The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Behind the camera, she produces some of the best music videos in metal for bands like Slayer and L.A. Guns. Please welcome to the show, the lovely Felissa Rose. Oh my
0: god! Thank you so much for having me. Beautiful introduction. I can't wait to see all of you battle it out. (laughs) I'm going to make you kick each other's asses.
3: You have to scream at the end of every round. I feel
0: like I'm already doing it naturally. I'm like, do you know what I need? Ah!"
3: Perfect.
2: Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score, after all five rounds. All right, duelers, put your hands in the air like you just don't care because it's time to play more. Dueling decades. <laughs> all right, let's go right down to our judge, Felissa Rose, for the toss off for this game.
0: Okay, I'm going to toss a card, a business card of a wonderful actor I just worked with, Jeffrey Drews. He doesn't even know it, he's on the show. <laughs> Let's see who's going to take the face up and who's going to take the other side.
2: All right, Man Crush and Joe, you guys go in the first round.
1: All right, you call it, Joe. All right, I'm going face down.
0: Ooh. It is
3: horror.
1: So. Okay,
0: one, <laughs> two, three. Face
2: down. Yes. Oh, <laughs> great I
3: never All win said.
2: these. <laughs> All right, now me and Joe will go to see who goes first. Joe, why don't you call it again? Pressure luck.
1: <sighs> Ooh. Um, I'm feeling like he's still alive. He's he's going to make it. He's rolled over. He's going to be face up this time.
0: Ooh. Okay, I'm doing it again. One, two, three. Whoa. He's face down.
3: Oh. Oh. <laughs> he is dead.
0: He's <laughs> dead.
3: <laughs> he will
1: be missed.
2: That means I take control of the board. And I get to pick the first category. So you know what? We're going to head over to the news round for our first one-point category. Solid. All right. So for my pick, I went over to newspapers.com, and I found an article in the news press out of Fort Myers, Florida, dated October 30th, 1998. And the title of this article is Horror Films Roam the Earth. Now, going in-depth in this article, it talks about the resurgence in 1998 of horror films, Largely coming off the backs of Scream and Scream 2 from 96 and 97. And then all of a sudden we started to see all these new horror movies coming back into the theaters. And within a matter of weeks, we had all of these movies in the theaters at the same time. We had John Carpenter's Vampires, Halloween H20, The Bride of Chucky, Urban Legend, Practical Magic, Beloved, *At Pupil. Plus it, the article goes on in talking about how the resurgence will continue with remakes of Psycho, The Mummy, Gods and Monsters, and an upcoming film called Freddy vs. Jason. Talk about a revival right there. So that's what I got for my offering, the 1998 revival of horror. Over to you, Joe.
1: All right, let's do this. I'm going to take you just after October. So you think all your horror movies and the good stuff is going to come out before Halloween. But one came out in November, and that movie was Silent Night, Deadly Night. And in November of 1984, some concerned parents came out in force on the East Coast when they started airing ads for Silent Night, Deadly Night during things like uh, a Packers game in the afternoon, A uh, Little House on the Prairie, among a few other things, where somebody dressed like Santa is murdering people. And the original uh, poster, for those who don't know, is, again, Santa, you see Santa's arm or whatever sticking out of the chimney. So, yeah, parents had a little bit of... Uh, cause for concern uh, over this and they flooded the radio stations and the TV stations protesting the airing of these commercials during what would be considered family hours. Uh, Also they protested the movie in and of itself. Uh, An article on draft house, uh, that was covering, well, that covered this after the fact, uh, said, Silent Night, Deadly Night struck a particular nerve uh, right smack in the middle of the Reagan years. Shopping malls were already saturated with sleazy slasher films and pearl-clutching at hidden levels in the United States not seen since the McCarthy era. In this tense environment, the arrival of Killer Santa movie was enough to whip the concerned people of this great nation into a yuletide hysteria. So major protests... Beyond the radio stations, in that uh, came with the East Coast premieres. So, one in the Bronx uh, and one in Milwaukee saw picketers uh, at the movie theaters. And it hurt the movie in that they did not release this movie in the West Coast because of this. After six days of the ads being on the air, they pulled every single ad. And within two weeks, the movie was out of circulation in theaters. And it wasn't until it came out on VHS that it got its big boost. And that is because of all the controversy from all of these protests uh, at the time, and obviously the people who weren't able to see it going in. Oh, and on top of this, uh, Siskel and Ebert decided to get involved in this. And I've uh, spoken on my own show about Ebert getting involved and kind of making things Not pleasant for uh, people involved in these movies. He started naming names during a segment. Instead of just uh, reviewing this, they dedicated an entire segment to it, and they ended up calling out people by name. But his final quote was, uh, the showing of Santa with an axe on free TV and commercials is sick, sleazy, and mean-spirited. You people have nothing to be proud of, even if you made a few bucks off all the negative publicity. Your profits are truly blood money. And they called out producers and executives from TriStar and the director of the film. Uh, so that's what I've got for you this time, no, November 1984, November 6, 1984, specifically,
3: protests of Silent Night Deadly Night.
2: Ooh. All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the news round?
3: All right, well, unlike these guys who went the fiction route, I went the non fiction route. I went with the real shit here. Uh, October 24th, 1996, is a story out of USA Today. Uh, there was a, there was so much horror to choose from that I felt like this news article it highlighted all of them. And it was the scariest of the bunch, and not because it talked about one serial killer, because it talked about the minds of all serial killers. And much like Miss Felissa Rose and her character Angela, serial killers are extraordinarily ordinary. And that's what makes them so scary. And that's what this guy's talking about. And then the uh, news article here is Dean of Death dispels myths about serial killers' minds. And he goes on to say, let me just read the beginning of this article here to give you guys an idea of this. Serial killers are not the glassy-eyed lunatics that movies make them out to be. An expert dubbed Dean of Death told the Augustine College audience on Thursday. James Allen Fox, Dean of College of Criminal Justice at Northeastern University in Boston. And this guy's huge. He's written so many books about this shit. He shared this information he's learned from studying serial killers for 16 years. Mr. Fox also helps law enforcement agencies investigate serial killings and has been a guest on many talk shows and newscasts. And I quote, serial killers are extraordinarily ordinary, he said. In an earlier telephone interview previewing this Thursday's presentation, they have jobs, Mr. Fox said. They have families. They kill part time as a hobby. Indeed. When they have time to kill, they do. But other than that, they're just ordinary people. And it goes on and on and on and on. But that's some psycho shit that you don't think about. Because when you yeah. watch these movies, like these guys just had two stories about movies. These are psychos. Like you had Joe Silent Night, Deadly Night, a guy dressed up as Santa Claus with an axe. And this guy's telling you, this expert in the field is telling you that serial killers are just the guy next door mowing his fucking lawn. Well, fucking cut your head off. And he actually talks about it in this so he was talking about the uh, the Gainesville killings uh from one of his new books uh kill, Well, new book in 1996 killer on campus and he said that there was a the killing they killed a, like a couple girls and they decapitated the one girl they this guy decapitated the one girl and put her head on a bookshelf facing her decapitated body and oh the, he, this is in the article here so like this is all part of it These books are crazy. If you want to read real horror shit, read a book about serial killers from one of these experts because the stories are insane. But that's what I have. October 24th, 1996, the dean of death tells us that everybody is just an ordinary person who kills people.
2: So a serial killer is most likely to be my quiet next door neighbor absolutely yes, be aware oh, be- <laughs> Great. another reason I can't leave the house
3: I mean look at seriously look at Angela's character from that's from right. Camp. it's just like a, a little 13 year old girl
0: who would have thought that psycho yeah like... this is
1: why I don't make eye contact with anybody
0: I know <laughs> I, I actually have a podcast and recently they asked me what's the scariest what scares you the most and I said people a lot of times just you know you never yeah. know who's gonna kidnap your child or who is going to break into your house. You know, people, I mean, for the most part, let's be honest, people are amazing and wonderful and good hearted, but you know, you just never kind of know. I love home invasion movies and I love true crime docs. So I'm <laughs> fucked in the head.
3: It's that 10% though. Let me, and let me ask you this question. Like a couple weeks ago we had uh, Lydia Cornell from uh, too close for comfort was on. And uh, she was telling us how she had a stalker. And then not only did she have a stalker, she had him move in with her because she didn't even realize that this guy was a stalker. Wait, what? Yeah, it, it, exactly. That was my exact... What? I was like, wait, say that again? Uh, but did you, like, going through it, like, you do all these horror conventions and do you ever, did you ever have a stalker or some crazy shit like that?
0: Well... So for all the years I've been in the industry, I've always said no. And I truly do live my life in a very positive, happy, grateful way. Right. Just recently, I encountered something truly scary where someone did enter my world and it actually his his ex-wife or recently like broken up. I don't know his ex-girlfriend or ex-wife told me um, and it has more to do with my children and he's now in oh, prison. Wow. So oh, very, shit. very oh. sad and scary. And this oh. just happened. He was just, um, the arraignment was March 27th. And, oh. um, it, you know, he, you just never know when someone is trying to really get into your world. So it really had nothing to do with it. The, the thing is, it had nothing to do with me. He was actually obsessed with my husband, but transferred his obsession onto my child so he's in prison he had he has a tattoo of her on his torso um i mean this took on a whole like crazy you know insane journey but he's not you know he's no longer around he's not walking the streets i took six months out of my life to get him behind bars
3: are you a little jealous that your husband had a stalker then and you really
0: didn't? <laughs> Man, Crush, I love you. I love you. You know, I just want to tell you, I can't believe it was my husband. No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> your husband, is he's from CKY, right?
0: Yes. He was the singer of CKY, the guitarist. Darren Miller, yep. yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey. Darren is the coolest guy. He's awesome. He's actually in the studio tonight. He's not here or he would be making an appearance because he always has to be like, in the middle of all my oh, that shit. would
3: be awesome <laughs> yeah he's cool
0: he's east coast dude but yeah sorry i didn't mean to bring everything down with that but you know what we're talking no, real that, life
3: it's hard yeah it's hard there's a horror <laughs> it's, episode it's we don't normally life. do this. this
0: shit happens for real
2: yeah
1: but mark i challenge you to now segue from that into <laughs> hey so who do you think wins
0: the
2: round <laughs> well now that this guy's in prison yeah. I think you should at least sneak in and put a bee's nest in the cell or something, you know?
0: Oh, I have my curling iron. You can imagine where that's going.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, let's go down to our judge, Felissa Rose, for the ruling for the news round.
0: This is really hard because I love what Man Crush has to say. I'm incredibly in love with true crime. Uh, I'm always on Netflix watching all of the docs. I'm a, completely obsessed. I love real life stuff. I loved Charlize Theron's portrayal of Arlene Warehouse in you know, um, Monster. Um, but, Joe, you, I don't know if you know this, that story is very near and dear to my life and my heart because I did a doc many years ago um, called uh, Going to Pieces, the Rise and Fall of the Slasher film. And I spoke all about that particular movie and that situation with the picketing. And I was very uh, strong in my uh, and aggressive in the way I spoke about it. And everyone to this day, almost before they want to talk about Sleepaway Camp, they want to speak about this doc um, <laughs> because I feel like You, my kids love horror movies. Um, We're a horror movie family. It's okay to allow children to watch horror movies. You must speak to them. Communicate with your kids. It's entertainment. Special effects is a beautiful art form. You know, if they don't want to watch it, they won't watch it. If they want to watch it, sit and chat with them and have a good conversation. And they might really love it. So, Man Crush. I love
3: you, East (laughs) Coast, but Joe, you won the round for me. That's right. Awesome. We'll wait for the two point round.
0: I'm sorry. I'm the worst (laughs) judge ever. Because I'm like
3: No, No, no. you can't do that. That would make you the worst judge ever. (laughs) Give me the judge.
0: judge ever.
2: (laughs) 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 All right. Joe picks up a point, takes control of the board. What category are we going with next, Joe?
1: All right. I think we gotta go hot products. I feel like that's that's where we get that's where we gotta go. Where do you go with a horror movie hot product? Well, I'm very blessed. For 1984 was a powerful year in curling iron, just in movies in general. Uh, so what I bring to you is a hot product, which I found the uh, Ward Montgomery or the Montgomery Ward 1984 Christmas catalog, and the product that I chose had two pages of space, equal to that of GI Joe in the catalog. And so what I found is everybody's favorite fuzzy little mogwai, Gizmo, and the and the Gremlins cast of characters in toy form, in clothes form, in, like, you remember Spaceballs. Spaceballs, the lunchbox. Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal. <laughs> it's that for Gremlins. Uh, I'll so- focus very specifically on the uh, Gremlins action figures, which featured Gizmo and Stripe, who were very... Uh, They were all articulated and they were all quite uh, detailed for the time, uh, but they had everything. They had the backpacks, like I said, they had sleeping bags. They had absolutely everything Uh, in a world where you're flipping through that catalog and you're seeing, you know, multiple pages of. Star Wars, multiple pages of Transformers, multiple pages of this. The Only one movie other than Star Wars got that, and that was Gremlins, originally written as a horror movie, originally was going to chop off mom's head and murder the dog, rewritten as a more of a family movie when Steven Spielberg got involved. That is my choice. The Gremlins catalog of merchandise for
3: 1984. Oof. I didn't realize that they were going to cut off the mother's head. I never read that before.
1: That was in the original script, and I think Joe Dante was down with that, and then he got talked out of all the, oh, the scary of it all. And also, wow. for those who don't know, Gizmo and Stripe were supposed to be the same character. Gizmo was supposed to turn into the bad guy and kill everybody, but they changed that because they, uh, in the family aspect of things, they felt that you should have one Mogwai that you could kind of like get behind still.
3: Wow. Bye, blah, blah. You dropped some stuff on me this episode. That, and I didn't know that Silent Night, Deadly Night didn't get released on the West Coast. Those are two big things, man. Good stuff.
2: Thank you. All right, man crush. <laughs> Why don't you drop some knowledge on us? What do you got for this round?
3: All right. So let's go. I have 1996 on so March 22nd, 1986. I remember the day my friend Alex brought this Capcom game home. We had like 10 people at his house that night. We were playing the game in his basement in the dark and his surround sound was like jacked to the max. The, and this game like totally blew my mind at the time. It had smooth, full on video sequences like a horror movie. The graphics were better than most games I had played on a console. The sounds were creepy as hell. Just picture sitting in a dark room. The only light emanating was probably from like a 30-inch television. Surround sound blaring zombie moans, howling gunshots, the ominous music, like weird breathing noises, and the whole time we were like sitting around drinking Cisco. What a time to be alive. Uh, but anyhow, so we're talking about the survival horror game genre, and this might not have been the first, but it changed the game for what was to come for big time. The game itself is considered one of the best and most influential games of all time, selling nearly three million copies to become one of PlayStation's best-selling games. It was also one of the first games to receive the dreaded mature seventeen plus the M uh, ESRB rating. Uh, And George Romero, Mr. Zombie himself, said this game was responsible more than anything else for the popularizing of zombies in the early 21st century of pop culture. So just think of all those accolades, right? But it didn't stop there with this game. It had all that other stuff, but Capcom turned this into like a giant franchise, which included books, comics, animated series, and a set of movies that's the fifth Highest grossing horror franchise of all time at around $1.2 billion. So if you haven't put all that stuff together, this is the release of the classic video game Resident Evil on March 22nd, 1996. What do you got, Mark? Wow.
2: All right. So 1998 horror movie hut products. Now, if you're a horror movie fan and you collect stuff like we all do here in our man caves, there's probably a. Piece or two of merchandise that you own from this gentleman and I'm talking about Mr. Todd McFarlane because in 1998 Todd McFarlane started a line that I'm sure all of us horror movie fans have collected and that is the movie maniacs line we got series one in 1998 and a few of the figures from series two now the movie maniacs series was completely awesome it you had Freddy Krueger Leatherface and Jason full articulated figures incredible detail Series 1 also included Eve and Patrick from Species 2, a more recent movie. The interesting thing about this is this isn't the type of toy you'd want your mom or dad to go out and purchase for you. You wanted to pick this one out for yourself because it was important which one you picked. Because there was actually three different versions of most of these figures. You had the regular version, and then you had the R-rated versions. Now, there was two different R-rated versions for each of the figures, Freddy, Jason, and Leatherface. You had the regular ones, which were packaged uh, as a normal action figure. The R-rated versions, much more blood all over the characters, way more gruesome. And then you got an extra blood package edition where there was actual blood splatter all over the packaging as well as the characters themselves. In addition to those, Series 2 also started to come out in 1998. You got Eric Draven from The Crow, Pumpkinhead, Norman Bates, and Ghostface from Scream. So that's what I got from my Hot Products 1998's Movie Maniacs line from Todd McFarlane. Uh, The series continued strong up until 2004. So that's what I got for Hot Products. Let's toss it over to our judge, Felissa Rose, for the ruling for the Hot Products round.
0: I can't judge this, okay? I love every single one. And it's, you're bringing me back to, you know, bringing up the thing that's so great about this, just kind of bringing up all of the childhood memories. I'm kind of immersed in each one of the stories. It's like, I've had the figures. My house is filled with the figures. Gremlins is near and dear to my heart because I actually read one of the original drafts with Adam Green at his Yorkieathon um charity event. Um, so and I got to play god her name is is escaping my she's the neighbor the character that I read Polly Holiday played her. So um, I got to play that role. It was really fun. But I have to give it to Man Crush because sitting in the basement, playing that game, and it was the biggest and the craziest, and we were all like – that was kind of the time when we were just sitting around with our friends, and it's um, – yeah, I'm giving it to you. I was I was playing that game and loving it. And,
3: and, and I wasn't even a big gamer at the time because, like, Mark, we just found this picture of me from – it's probably like ninety five. It's the word. Yeah. It's like the stupidest fucking picture was on. A buddy of mine found an old hard drive, and it, why there was a picture of me on his hard drive, I don't know. But he sent it to me, and it's like me in my bedroom, and you could see like my television, my Betamax, and this is like nineteen eighty five. And I had all I had was an NES
2: and a speed poster and a speed poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah that, at least it wasn't speed two. Yeah. I, I So I wasn't like the biggest gamer, but I remember when my friend Alex got this, he was like, yeah, dude, all these people are coming over. It's crazy. It's like a, a movie. So we got there and we started playing with the lights on and he like flipped the switch on the lights oh. and we were all drinking. Yeah. And it was fucking insane. The sounds like coming out of surround sound speakers, 1996, which are crazy loud, not like dispersed evenly. Oh, yeah. It was nuts. But that game is, it's phenomenal. And I didn't even realize that that was such a big franchise So until I started doing the research on this. I knew it was big and it had like legs, you know, it keeps going. But I didn't realize it made over a billion dollars. That's sick. Yeah.
0: I mean, all of the products that you all brought up were massive. You know, we don't even realize how tremendous the merch is, you know. we. Um, but yeah, that game was off the charts. No doubt. Did,
3: did Tom McFarlane ever contact you to make like your own like angela cock doll no no because the detail would have been fantastic
0: i still want to make a doll because i feel like it could you know it could come with or without the penis so you know that's an interesting <laughs> that would
3: be yeah like detachable a detachable like can... and
0: or i think funko pop should make uh, a, you know a dual <laughs> funko pop. the staring angela and the crazy animalistic angela Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think I'm just going to do it on my own. It's sort of like remaking that fucking yeah. movie. I'm just going to do it myself. Seriously, people would <laughs> buy the shit out of that. They never made an Angela doll. There's no real authentic Angela doll. It's like people have made some great, I you know, dolls where um they uh, one is stitched, one is, one's a mask that comes with a penis. There's all varying, you know.
2: <laughs> I want a crocheted one. The crochets. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Now,
3: do you, could you do that? Like, as far as like all the rights go and stuff, can you go ahead and make your own Angela doll if you wanted to, or would you have to go through like 18,000 other people?
0: You really don't. It's a small family. Sleepaway Camp was not an animal like a Friday the 13th or Halloween or, or Texas Chainsaw. I mean, it's, or Friday, you know, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's, it's really a, a little community and, I think I can do it because it's, I'm not wearing a mask. It's me. Right. It's my likeness. So I'm just going to do it.
3: You totally should. You, if you Kickstarter that I'm telling you, you would that meet would your fun. goal. So <gasps> quick.
1: yeah, I'll support
3: that. Yeah, I, I would definitely, I mean, I have stupid shit all over here. I was actually when Todd or when Todd, when Mark was saying, talking about the Tommy McFarlane <laughs> dolls, I was looking for one because I have a Rick Grimes one somewhere, but I can't find it yeah those todd mcfarlane ones blew my mind like yeah like they were so stuffed good. alien i have i have a uh-huh. leather face over there it's like stuffed but yeah if you had an angela baker doll that freaky face like especially if you're doing like the the screaming face yeah, yeah. oh I my would, god it would be crazy
0: It'd be like yeah and it comes with a button that you push in here <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh my god!
1: I really didn't want to fanboy out on you today, but I literally just got goosebumps when that. Oh,
0: happened. Hey! <laughs> it's amazing. Like
3: when you see people, like we see, you know, we don't actually most people that come on, we don't have them on camera. You're on camera with us, and you just did that face, and it was spot <laughs> on. How old were you when when you did sleepaway camp when you filmed it? I was 13. Okay, well, you look yeah. exactly the same when you just did. <laughs> You're it. Right. I love it was you. fucking Thanks. insane. It was so crazy.
0: This is so fun. Can I just say that? You can cut it out if you want.
1: No, we'll keep that.
0: So fun.
1: This is gonna be eighty percent of their episode is just a repeat of you saying how fun this. Oh is. my
0: gosh! I just everyone listening needs to grab a beer and just enjoy the shit out of this because it's memories, it's sentimental, and you guys are just awesome. Thank you Thank for you having me. Thank you very much. Thank
2: you. All right, well, let's roll on with the fun man crush. You've tied up the game at one apiece with Joe. What category are we going with for our final one-point round?
3: All right, so this is where a strategy is starting to kick in, especially with three people. So let's go go music for the final uh, single-point round here. Uh, February 20th, 1996. I'm not going to beat around the bush too much with this one because nobody's going to know what I'm talking about if I do. Uh, But there were a few directions I could have gone here, but I decided to go the traditional approach to dueling decades, and that is to find an album. I could have went with news shit because there was a lot of fucked up like music associated stuff like the silver chair killings and Madonna stalker and all that shit. But I didn't want to do that because it's more news. I wanted to keep it in music. So after an hour of digging through all of the releases from 1996, I came across Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and their album called Murder Ballads. Does it not get more perfect than this? Wow. okay so this is the ninth studio album for nick cave and the bad seeds and this sucker is ominous as its name i'm telling you the songs of this album include stagger lee which is a song about a christmas day murder of billy Lyons. um then we got henry lee which is a song about a woman killing her lover and then dumping him in the river after she stabbed the shit out of him i left that out and then there was his most popular song that was actually played on mtv had a video and that's Where the Wild Roses Grow, but which (laughs) is the weirdest, most bizarre duet because you got this band with a fucking album called Murder Ballads, and the duet on this song is Kylie Minogue. Wow. (laughs) Okay, but wait, it gets better. Okay, so let me just read what Nick Cave had to say about this song. This is from an article in 1996, and I quote, he says, Where the Wild Roses Grow. It was written very much for Kylie in mind I wanted to write a song for Kylie for many years. I had quite an obsession with her for about six years. That's very specific. I wrote several songs for her, none of which I felt was appropriate to give her. It was only when I wrote this song, which is a dialogue between a killer and his victim, that I thought I had finally written the right song for Kylie to sing. So I sent her the song and she replied the next day. Fucking wow. That's uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds murder ballads. From uh, February 20th of 1996. That's a dark one.
2: All right. So for my music selection, you know, I had 1998. So released August 25th, 1998, I found an album that I thought fit perfectly with our horror genre. And this whole album starts off with a little bit of sad news because, you know, sometimes bands do break up. But then sometimes their frontman goes on to have an even bigger solo career. So released August 25th, 1998, I give you probably the one album in concept and in singles that could be the soundtrack to any 90s horror film. I'm going with Hell Billy Deluxe by Rob Zombie. Of course, this album had two smash hit singles, Living Dead Girl which uh opens up with the phrase who is the irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead which is actually a line from the movie lady frankenstein it also has music in it from last house on the left the daughters of darkness and a bunch of other horror clips all mashed into the song and the rest of the album this is a weird analogy but when i think of this album it's almost more like a beastie boys album but with horror films instead of hip-hop and 70s funk. It's just all these different clips mashed into music. It's really cool. And, of course, the other single off that album was Dragula, which was a song that was written about the Munster's car. Dragula. Odd fun fact for this, the awesome music video for this where he's in the Dragula car. That's actually not the Dragula car. That's just like the regular Munster's mobile, (laughs) not the Dragula. So I don't know why he did that.
3: I thought you were going to say the monkeys'
2: mobile (laughs) That would have been way cooler, him there with Davy Jones, you know? (laughs) So that's what I'm picking for the music round. It's Rob Zombie with his first solo hit album, Hellbilly Deluxe, uh, released August 25th, 1998. Joe, let's toss it over to you for the music round.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to talk about a single that came out And this single might actually be New York's original If You See Something, Say Something, only for ghosts. (laughs) I want to talk about the theme song to Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr.'s. Ghostbusters, Uh, it was the number one on Billboard's Hot 100 for three weeks. Stayed in the top forty for twenty-one weeks. Uh, It was on the. It returned to the U.S. charts in two thousand five and two thousand six. It was charting in the U.K. from two thousand seven to two thousand ten, and again in two thousand twelve. It was said to have made an extra twenty million dollars towards the box office of the film. Uh, It was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. It lost to Stevie Wonder's "I Just Called to Say I Love You." Okay, I guess that's all right. Uh the music video itself was directed by Ivan Reitman and featured cameos by John Candy, Chevy Chase, George Wendt, Danny DeVito and millions more like so many people flashing in and out of that but the video pe- uh features uh Ray Parker Jr as a ghost in a weird neon kind of house haunting a young lady. Uh Parker was actually tasked with only a couple of days to write the song. Uh he uh other people uh like uh Lindsay Buckingham turned down the chance to write the song for this movie uh so he put it together he had a hard time because he couldn't find anything that would rhyme with ghostbusters until he saw a late night uh infomercial kind of thing and then decided to basically make this song into an infomercial for the ghostbusters and that's what i've got you don't want to be haunted you know who to call ghostbusters i
3: said that a lot during that i'm <laughs> so glad that i picked this in a one-point round <laughs>
2: All right, well, let's find out what our judge, Felissa Rose, has to say for the music round.
0: I can't take it! <laughs> <laughs> I love the three of you. This is brutal for me to judge. Um, I love music. Um, I feel connected to almost all three of the stories because, um, well, Man Crush... I feel like that story is not unlike, and it has a little similarity to myself and my husband because my husband um, decided that he was gonna dedicate a lot of how he wrote and what he wrote and the name CKY to me because he was a huge Sleepaway Camp fan and he said he was gonna marry me because he loved the movie. So it was sort of like the way Kylie Minogue, you know, that story went. Wow. (laughs) And Mark, I have to say, I love Rob Zombie. I'm a huge fan. Um, his dedication and his love for the genre is tremendous. So that alone is just, you know, kudos to you for that great story. But Joe, did you you're bringing it, man? Did you know I was in Ghostbusters?
1: I did not know you were in Ghostbusters. <laughs>
0: so it's this new revelation that everybody has started. I've been doing a lot of interviews lately because I, um, I have three movies that just came out. And so while they're coming out, I'm doing a lot of press. And it just came out. I mean, it's like literally background, basically. Um, I'm a... Okay. They, I was 15 years old and they hired me, um, they called my manager and said, oh, we need a teenage girl to kind of watch as they're painting the sign, the Ghostbusters sign in the original movie. Yeah, so I worked on it. I hung out with Bill Murray. Um, he invited me to have lunch, but you know, I, I, I was like, my mom's there. You're like, friend. that's weird. <laughs> weird. Uh-huh. But yeah, so Joe, you got it this round because of my incredible, time being on that set it was just uh pretty amazing do you remember anything
3: else that happened when you were on that set
0: it was in manhattan and um i was with my mom and i just had to kind of like hang out it it wasn't even a crowd scene i was just like standing there it was very interesting but um you don't really see me i think i walk by but um just having been there especially with that kind of a cast and and i really did speak with bill murray and you know i had the opportunity to chat with
3: him for a bit. It was cool. That's awesome. That, I mean, that's still cool, though. Let, let me ask you this, since you brought up your mom. Yes. All right. So you you did this movie, and we're, we're, we're going to circle back to your penis. <laughs> it's always about my dick. I just went like, well, because you brought up your mother here, and I just like, yeah. as having a daughter that just turned 14, and I'm trying to picture this. So, like, when you had the script for the first time for Sleepaway Camp, did you know about the dick scene at the end? of course yeah what what was your parent like what did your parents say they were like
0: "Fuck it yeah do it well it's (laughs) funny because the callback so we had the first audition and i just met with the director robert and we hung out and he was super cool and then i left and i said to my mom oh i think i got that part she was like yeah okay whatever it was my first audition and then when they called the manager called they were like you know he really liked her like they want to speak with you and so my mother was really young. I mean, I was 13 and she's 21, she was 34. So she walked in and they said, look, the nature of this film is that it's super gory. She will be playing the spoiler, spoiler alert. She is the killer. (laughs) And there's a special ending. She will be a boy and we're not quite sure how we're gonna do it. So she might have to wear a penis. We're having Ed French mold one, but we're not certain. And I think my mom was a little thrown like, hmm. But for the most part, she just said yes, because hey how cool like my kid might get a part in a movie and i always imitate my mother like a real new york stage mother like oh my god she could do whatever she wants of course she could wear a dick It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: so. you brought that up and usually we have uh well not usually but a lot of the time uh mike ranger from video rangers comes on the show and uh, he knew you were coming on and he just sent me a message out of the blue and it's funny that you you mentioned the prosthetic And he said uh ask her about the prosthetic penis they were gonna strap on her
0: yes so ed french talks about it in the commentary um the actual on the blu-ray there's a little um like documentary and so he said that robert hiltzik the director had him molding that but my mom was like she can't have a strap on and truthfully I am a chick and I do have boobs. So I'm not sure how they were gonna have me standing there what fully naked at the age of 13. So they hired, they decided, Ed French said, we can't do it this way. We're gonna make a mold of her face and we'll put it on an 18 year old boy because he'll be old enough to actually do nudity. You have to be 18. They hired a skinny little boy who had a little face. He had to shave his whole body. And he drank a bottle of jack, so he was hysterically crying the whole the whole filming of that scene.
2: Oh my wow. God <laughs> Of course they had to do it that way. Once somebody realized, I'm gonna have to mold a thirteen year old penis. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing this. We'll just get a double. Yeah, what the <laughs> There's hell, certain like- sentences
1: when you say aloud. <laughs>
2: Yeah, once you say, once you think that I'm gonna have to make a mold and sculpt it and use reference. No, no, we're just. Getting oh a my double god!
3: <laughs> Imagine the reference
0: work he'd have to do.
3: He's like, wait a minute, are we going cut or on cut with this one? I just like it is 83.
0: Oh my god! I'm dying right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can
3: make that as a product too. Yeah. the,
2: yes, the she, Angela
1: Rose's penis. Make it like a door knocker. <laughs>
2: All right, Joe, you win that round. That means you take the lead. Two to one, and you have control of the board going into our first two point round. What category are we going with next?
1: Well, I'm going to make this choice only because I really feel with a genre like this, you got to end on movies. So I think we got to go with TV for this round. Solid. Okay, I'm going to take you to September 30th, 1984. George Romero, who we've already brought up in this. Uh, in this episode created an executive produced a show, which is an anthology show that was well known as tales from the dark side. It aired for four seasons. It actually had a pilot episode that aired the previous year, but September 30th was the episode one premiere. Featured a lot of big names and just a lot of names in early appearances. Uh, Michael Gornick, uh, who was a cinematographer for Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, directed episodes. Tom Savini made his directorial debut doing an episode of this. Uh, Alan Coulter, who directed Hollywoodland, and Jody Foster even directed an episode of this show. Writers like Michael McDowell, who did uh, Beetlejuice and the Nightmare Before Christmas, Uh, David O'Dell, who wrote uh, The Dark Crystal and Masters of the Universe, Uh, Robert Block, who wrote, uh, wrote the novel Psycho. Uh, Stephen King wrote episodes, Clive Barker wrote an episode, like these are some true masters in place here. And then uh, shows of this kind always have a lot of different kinds of actors like this, but people like Danny Aiello, Bruce Davidson, David Patrick Kelly of Warriors fame, uh, John Hurd, Carol Kane, Jerry Stiller, Jerry Orbach, Tippi Hedren, uh, Seth Green, a very young Seth Green, uh, Bradley Whitford, Kareem Abdul Jabbar was in an episode, Christian Slater and Brent Spiner. So a lot of people people were featured in this uh, one of those great, you know, masters of horror style anthologies that lasted four years, but it all started here. 1984 tales from the dark side. Good one.
2: All right. So I'll go next for the TV round, uh, debuting on October 7th, 1998, we got the tale of three sisters and their discovery to do battle against the forces of evil using their witchcraft as they are the charmed ones. The debut of the TV series Charmed. Of course, everybody knows this. It is an absolute cult favorite, just not by me. <laughs> you know, Charmed follows the stories of three sisters Pure, played by Shannon Doherty, Piper, played by Holly Marie Combs, and Phoebe, played by Alyssa Milano. Now, following Pure's death in the third season finale, their long lost half sister. Paige Matthews, played by Rose McGowan, assumes the role so they can once again have the power of three. Actually, I think the series got more popular once Sharon Doherty left, which is kind of weird. I think that's happened a few times to Shannon Doherty now, hasn't it? So Charmed went on to film 178 episodes. It's had a few spin-offs and again, a few revivals. So as Man Crush likes to say, the show Charmed, it definitely has legs.
0: Good
3: one. Good one.
2: (laughs) All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the television round?
3: All right. April 19th, 1996. Uh, On that date was the final season of the Robert Zemeckis classic, or this Robert Zemeckis classic. It was a made-for-HBO series that aired its first episode of season seven, which consisted of 13 episodes, and it concluded on July 19th. The show began in the summer of 1989 and it was only contracted for three seasons. But since it was immensely popular, HBO just said, fuck it, let's just go till the wheels fall off. So it went for seven seasons. But prior to that, prior to becoming a TV series, it was actually slated to be a trilogy style motion picture. But they thought it wouldn't make much money at the box office, much like Creep Show and Creep Show 2, which are awesome, but they didn't make a ton of money. So they sold it off to HBO to become a TV series. That said, they would eventually have two movies that were spinoffs that came out in 1995. They released Demon Knight in 96. They released uh, Bordello of Blood. And actually, um, Dust Till Dawn was actually supposed to be part of this, too. That yeah, Quentin sense. Tarantino and uh, Robert Rodriguez decided to go their own route, so it didn't get this, uh, this tag. But you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Uh, they weren't either one of those. They, they were not huge box office successes, but neither lost money either. So their original conclusion was correct. That this series was tailor made for television, especially cable TV, where they were allowed obviously to have perverse language, gore, and nudity. Uh, the show was based on a set of comics that were produced in the 1950s by EC Comics. Of those comics, Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Crime Suspense Stories, Shock Suspense Stories, Two Fisted Tales, and this television show's namesake, Tales from the Crypt which was in their last season, April 19th, 1996. So it was interesting that, Joe, you brought yours. So it just comes down to which one's better, and I'm going to say it's mine.
2: Well, it doesn't matter what you have to say, Man Crush. <laughs> it's all about the judge, Felissa Rose. Let's see what she rules on this round.
0: Uh, you, you know, you're really um, in a position that's very difficult, people. Uh, <laughs> this is fucking hard. I didn't realize how how hard it would be, um and I love all of them. I love all the series, especially because I feel like any television that's based on you know has one at least one foot in the genre is is aces to me because i love I love the genre so much, and I, i'm so happy when the spotlight is on it. but I will have to go with you, mark, because charmed is one of my favorites, and anything that's female centric is definitely tremendous because um you know, especially at that time you. We didn't really see a lot of television with, with females at front and center. So I love Charm. Great show.
2: Wow. Out of nowhere, i come from behind to tie up the game with Joe heading into the final movies round on this horror battle.
0: It's anyone's game.
3: It's, yeah, it all comes down to this. Maybe she did this on purpose. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Movies round. Good call Alrighty. going last. I mean, that fits.
2: All right, so we go to the movies round as I go back to our good friends at newspapers.com to the morning call in Allentown, Pennsylvania, in a newspaper dated August 21st, 1998. Wesley Snipes listens to the man on the street. He reads the internet. He knows that his career could use a transfusion. It's wild to have people stop you on the street, Wesley says. Wes, I saw your last movie in Man. I didn't like that at all. Or I'll read on the internet, when is Wesley Snipes going to make a good movie? Part of the problem is, Wesley says, I have no influence over my pictures. I do my job and then I go home. Nobody calls me to ask me for my opinion. All that changes with Blade, Wesley Snipes' new feature about vampire hunting superhero that opens today in movie theaters. So that's my pick for the horror movie round. I'm going to pick the action horror film Blade, which kind of revitalized... Wesley Snipes' career, kind of melding the action and horror franchises together, not to mention you got all the comic book fanboys in there. And hey, if the girls from Charmed have legs, Wesley Snipes has got legs too, because Marvel is rebooting this franchise, and we're getting Blade back. So that's what I got. This movie did phenomenal money off of a $45 million budget cumulative worldwide gross of $131 million. That's just for the original film. Of course, this movie had many sequels and uh, lives on today as a cult classic. So that's my pick for the movie's round, opening August 21st, 1998. I give you to the hit film, Blade. All right, over to you, Joe Finley. What do you got, man? I've got
1: something pretty good. First, I just want to supplement yours just to let you know, Mahershala Ali has been cast as Blade for the Marvel MCU version. Oh, wow. All right, I'm down with that. So you got that. He's currently probably uh, quarantined at home, getting all bulked up, ready to fight some vampires.
2: <laughs> He's going to come out of quarantine looking like tiny Zeus Lister.
1: <laughs> Love him. Only with eyes facing forward. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say one eye <laughs> All right. 1984 was quite a gift for horror. We talk about, we've talked about a lot of iconic horror movie characters. And if you were to make your. Mount Rushmore of horror icons. A lot of people could be up there and they'd be argued who would make the list. Uh, Jason, Angela, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Pinhead, uh, Mike Myers, all these different people. But there's one person who you could not argue would be on there and it would be a real pain in the ass to carve him out because his face is so goddamn wrinkly. I want to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street that was released on November 16th, 1984. This made Wes Craven an icon in horror. This made Robert Englund an icon in horror. This movie was the film debut of Johnny Depp. It cost $1.8 million to make, and it made $25 million. Uh, It spawned five sequels plus two additional movies, which included Freddy vs. Jason, that was mentioned before, as well as uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. A remake in 2010 came out. Uh, Any list of... Most iconic or favorite or best or scariest uh, movie villains or horror movie villains always has Freddy Krueger near the top of the list. And if you didn't know, did you know that Todd McFarlane made a movie Maniac series action figure of him in 1998? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to movie icon or horror movie icons like this, I mean, it's a face you just can't forget. It won't let you. <laughs> and uh, just the idea. Behind the movie of you're not being chased down by a person. They are in your dreams. There is no escaping them. Uh, Made for a hell of a cool idea. And so that's what I give you, A Nightmare on Elm Street.
2: Wow. Solid pick. Man Crush, what do you have for the movies round?
3: All right. Before I get to my pick, I just want to say (laughs) Wes Craven was an icon before Nightmare on Elm Street. The Dude had Last House on the Left and Hills of Eyes. Yeah. So let's not say that that's where it started. That's yeah, a but, little That's pushing. Uh, okay. Find me one bit. person.
1: I, I'll get. I'll give you a hundred people. Find me one person. If you say Wes Craven, they go. Oh man, Hills Have Eyes. So, yes, great movie. Hell, Last House on the Left, great movie. But they're gonna go Nightmare on Elm
3: Street. <laughs> eh, we'll see. We'll see. But he, again, he was an icon before that. It wasn't like he just picked that up and that he went away with it. But mm-hmm. on December twentieth, nineteen ninety six. I had a bunch of options to choose from here, but you know what? Like, I love this franchise and it all started here. So I went with it. Uh, This one, it took the world by storm in 96. And I'm not talking about Titanic, of course. This is same time frame, but not Titanic, (laughs) which could be a horror movie, I guess. Uh, But I must say for as bad as some of the 90s were in terms of like insane budgets and box office flops. I have to say that 1996 was like a phenomenal year for movies in my book. Just going through and looking at it from a glance of every month, it was a really good year. Because there were some years in the 90s, and we've talked about it before in here, that were total shit. Uh, but this one was great. And But this movie, there was a lot of buzz about this Wes Craven movie like coming out, coming up to the release date. And I was fortunate enough to see the midnight premiere of this one. And obviously, this is before you can get tickets at like Fandango or like buying them online. So you just had to take your chances and waiting in line. And I still remember freezing my fucking ass off for like an hour because the line went outside the door because our movie theater, like it's right by the the entry doors and the line went outside and it snowed that week and there was snow everywhere. And we were just waited for like probably 45 minutes or so till we got into the theater. But it was well worth it. As I mentioned before, budgets in the 90s, they were astronomical that said this movie was done for $14 million and half of that was probably drew Barrymore's five minute cameo and a little side note. She was originally cast as the lead role, but they changed that. But yeah, 7 million probably went to drew Barrymore for that, uh, for that five minute scene. But this movie, it went on to make $173 million at the box office. That's $285 million in 2020. So that's outrageous for a horror movie. That's insane numbers. It's spurned off three sequels, plus the original, three seasons of an MTV series by the same name, and the overall series, $600 million, which firmly plants it in the top 20 highest grossing franchises of all time, which Nightmare on Elm Street is actually not on. Uh, but matter of wow. fact, like part five of this series, it was supposed to begin filming this month. So you talk about legs, Mark. This has legs. Twenty four <laughs> years later, they were about to do part five, uh, and as I'm sure you've mustered up from everything that I said, this is the 1996 release of the Wes Craven classic Scream. This is where Wes Craven got huge. This like came out of the woodwork, and everyone was like, the "Fucking Wes Craven! This guy is great!" Where was he all these years? But yeah, December 20th, 1996,
2: Scream debuted in the box office. Wow, solid pick. All right, for the final judgment, let's go down to our celebrity guest judge, Felissa Rose.
0: I'm sorry, Felissa Rose is no longer on the line. She cannot speak to any of you. <laughs> this is a very difficult task, and she is not one to um, take competition lightly. I love all of these choices. I will speak with Mark. Blade is one of my favorites. Wesley Snipes. I've been the biggest Wesley Snipes fan forever. I just love, love him. And that film is absolutely stellar. Um, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the greatest, one of the best. Uh, Robert Englund is, you know, his portrayal of Freddy Krueger and Forever the Nightmares, you know, have um, have given them to all of us, right? We love, we love that. But yes, Bad Crush Scream changed the face of horror. It actually changed everything um, at that time. We had the golden era of like the late 70s and the 80s, and then we were always sort of the stepchild until that film really did change the face of how we, you know, mainstream looked at horror. And it changed the course of things. And I will have to go with Scream because it's the ultimate It's one of my favorite movies. It is one of the best films. What they did with Drew Barrymore was the most brilliant choice in casting. So I love you all. I love all these choices. And I'm going to go to sleep crying tonight because I feel so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: yeah. You know, as you were picking that, I was thinking like, Felissa does like a lot of cons, like especially like horror cons and stuff like that. So how many of these people do you actually see? Like, Robert England, I'm sure you see yeah, like quite a Skeet, bit.
0: Skeet is always like right across from me and Robert Englund is, you know, across from me or next to me or I'm fortunate. I mean, Payne Hodder is one of my closest friends. I have a podcast with him. Um, you know, Gunner, um, you know, the original Leatherface, he was the writer, the original writer of the movie I produced, Death House. I mean, it's all a big community of love and um, camaraderie and collaboration and I feel very grateful all the time because I feel like I kind of just wormed my way in and stalked everyone. And
3: (laughs) you want to hear a great story about Kane Hodder?
0: I love Kane Hodder.
3: I love I love Kane Hodder. And for about five years, we had another show. was called Poop Culture, and we wanted Kane on the show. Like we used to have a lot of guests. We contacted Kane's agent. I can't remember what her name is. Judy. Judy. Yes. So she, she emails me back and she's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. We'll schedule you, blah, blah, blah. And then she says like a week before she goes, yeah, he's not going to do it. Cause your name's too vulgar. I'm like, <laughs> what? He fucking kills people in movies. He's not what? in one franchise. He's in two. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's too vulgar. He's not coming on. And like, at the time, Poop Culture was a big show. It, sh- it didn't happen. So I would love, now that our know, name doesn't have poop in call it. call
0: him right now. D- let's
3: call him right oh, now.
0: But, I, but I'm on my phone. <laughs> um, should we call? Can I do that? Can I make a phone call? Yeah, I think okay. so. Hold on. Let's see. Hold on. Okay. Will we hear Kane? I'm calling him right now. Let's see.
3: Yeah, we let's hear you. I think so. Oh,
0: shoot. Let's see. Uh, he didn't answer. So uh.
2: Uh, we tried.
3: Well, next time we you tried, talk, to him- <laughs> I'm gonna
0: ask him. I'm definitely gonna get in touch with you to let you know.
3: Oh, that would be awesome. If you would come on, because like I watch his documentary, the book, and everything else. His story is fantastic. We'd love to get him on the show to be a judge.
0: He's one of the most amazing people to walk this planet. He's super intelligent. He's super compassionate. He's funny as shit. Um, I have a ball with him like whenever we work together or um especially during our podcast, he tells the most amazing stories and um he's just a phenomenal talent. I love him so much. That's I really so do. Weird.
3: What what's your podcast and everything? Drop all your stuff. And thank you for making me the I does that make me the winner of this one? Did I win three to two?
0: Congratulations. Yeah. But I was honest with all of the <laughs> I was just trying to be really honest with each of you in each category and what I felt compelled to like kind of, you know, um relate to and, and felt was a great answer. So they all were phenomenal. Um, but yes, you won Man Crush. And um Oh, my. So I I do a, a podcast called Casualty Friday on the Fangoria Podcast Network. And it's me, Kane Hodder and Tiffany Shepis. We're in the middle of showing season two. You can watch it on Fangoria's YouTube and you can also listen on all platforms. And I also another film that I stalked was Terrifier. So I make an appearance. I have a cameo in Terrifier 2 that's coming out.
3: Wait, Terry, was that the one where the guy cut the body yes. down the middle? Yep.
0: That movie was fucking nuts. It's insane. And let me tell you, terrifier Two brought to us by Damien Leone, who's an incredible effects artist, writer, director. Um, he is going to bring something so spectacular with terrifier 2 I'm afraid to watch it. So I, I wow. can't, I can't wait to see what he, what he has in store for us as the audience. Um, so all good stuff, you know, and keep watching Joe Bob Briggs on, on Shudder because there's some surprises coming on. I can't talk about. Uh. I suck.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now that's cool though. Shutter, no, is, awesome. Shutter is awesome. Like the, their original shows now that they're starting to add are fantastic.
0: Yeah, they're amazing.
2: All right, Felissa, if all of our listeners want to follow you on social media, where can they find you?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I love Instagram. I'm Felissa Rose 123. I love Twitter. I'm Felissa underscore Rose. Um, I, I'm on Facebook, Felissa Rose Esposito Miller. I have to add all my names. It's, it's crazy. Um, I know I'm an idiot, but you know, <laughs> that's the way social media goes. So, and I do love social media. I love, um, conventions. Hopefully they'll be back soon because I just, Um, I'm a fan of the genre and I love talking to people and I love meeting people who work in this, you know, space, Um, both actors, all actors, directors, writers, um, effects artists. So it's super cool, you know, and I'm just grateful for, you know, being here with you and for having the opportunity to work making these movies.
3: Yeah, we didn't. We spent so much time talking about your dick that I forgot (laughs) to ask you when... (laughs) You
0: did the... If um... you could see it. Is that what... <laughs> no, no, no. no.
3: <laughs> Can we
0: see her, Dick? And yes, um... it, it's, it's bigger than everybody's. So. <laughs> <laughs> you,
3: did, you did return to Sleepaway Camp where you came back as a male yeah. and they, they like, did you all up as a cop or whatever. But the thing that I realized when I was going through all this stuff, and I had watched a movie a while back, but that was Isaac Hayes' last role that before he died. That was his last yeah.
0: movie, yeah. And he was... Such an amazing person to work with. Um, we spent a lot of time together, Um, uh, myself, Vinny Pastori and, um, Isaac Hayes. So he's just a, you know, true professional, beautiful heart, wonderful person. Um, always just lovely to be around. And yeah, it's sad that was his last. I'd said that that was his last film. Yeah, um,
3: that, and you guys made him a chef of all things. Made him
0: a chef. <laughs> I know. Leave it to Robert uh, Hiltzik. He's so funny. But yeah, that was a lot of fun to make that movie. That's We made it in 2003, although it came out in 2008. And that's the film where I actually met my husband because he was such a huge fan of the movie. He um, called His manager called Robert Hiltzik to say, could the guys from CKY please come to the set? And he was like, Yeah. And they flew out on a red eye. And like the next day, my husband was like, can I marry you and like move in with you? I just bought a house in California. And I'm like, so oh, la, la, la I said, yeah, that sounds good. And literally like 17 years later and three kids and still in California, um, having a blast married to this man.
3: That's insane. Was that like the icebreaker that they were Camp Kill Yourself and you came from Sleepaway Camp?
0: That's, I mean yes that was really how it started i saw him on the first episode of jackass and he was wearing the angela t-shirt the the face the screaming face from the last shot of the movie and i saw it and i was like who's that and and then he sort of made himself known on we called him the lazy stalker he was like cool about it he's like yeah i kind of like dig her and like movie and He's going to be like, I don't talk that way. But that's my impression <laughs> of it. And he put my face on his guitar and his first CD, volume one. And, um, and he was, yeah, he was crazy about the movie and crazy about, you know, um, just kind of meeting Angela was his thing. He was bullied as a kid. So he always connected with her. And then little did he know when he met me, I was crazy. He was like, well, you're not the sweet, <laughs> shy type. You're like insane.
3: So you did have a stalker before he did.
0: He was yes. <laughs> See? I'm yes, I knew it. It all came full circle. <laughs> it came full circle. Yes. The stalkers. Um, yeah, and then and then he was like, Let's get married, like that weekend. And we got tattooed with our names on each other like a week later. so so you got married a
3: week after you guys met
0: no we we just well i guess so we we had we had gotten tattooed with our names on our ring fingers like a week later and um and then we decided we'd get married like two weeks later and we wound up getting married like a year later
3: did you show them your penis when you first met
0: of course that was the big (laughs) oh That's why he was like, you are amazing.
2: Yes, man crush. She carries it around in her fucking purse.
0: <laughs> well, no, I have, I actually have it on me at all times <laughs> now. That would just get
3: oh, weird. That, that's a great story, though. I mean, that's like such a great pairing, like CKY and Sleepaway Camp.
0: It's great. Yeah, I was a huge... The funny thing is when I heard about his love for Sleepaway Camp, I started listening to infiltrate destroy rebuild which had just come out and i like loved it i was obsessed with the album i loved um the videos and little did i know like i became really good friends with the guys i in fact as soon as we had our first child rab himself moved to california and moved in with us for like a year so those guys were were dear friends um and and now he's making his own amazing music with his new band 96 bitter Beings.
3: that's and that's a great song
0: Yes, that's a great song. Quite yes, bitter beings. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love, I love that song, and that's why he coined it as his new band, so that he could like kind of you know segue into the new stuff. Right.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. We're, you know what? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, and you can come back on anytime you want.
0: Thank you. I love you guys.
3: Yeah, this is fun, isn't it? Fun? Isn't it like better yeah. than just doing like a one-on-one interview? Or
0: this is brilliant. The way you set this up is brilliant. I definitely, Kane needs to come on. Um, I'm going to talk to him. And I just want to say thank you for having me and spending time with me. This was fantastic. Well, thank good you. Good
1: luck to you. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You were done.
0: Stay in touch with me. I love you guys.
3: I will. I'm going to email you. Um, and if you hear anything from Kane, tell him we drop poop off our name. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good now.
0: I love it. I love it. Oh, i love you guys have a great night be well stay healthy you too take care oh, you. thank
2: you thank Bye. you so have much night.
0: you too bye-bye
2: all right duelers well on that note we're gonna end this episode right here but don't worry if you've missed an episode you can always head over to duelingdecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on apple podcasts you can subscribe on spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts And then while you're on the interwebs, head on over to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades, where you can join one of our two awesome private groups. Uh, We have the 80s versus 90s, and now we have the brand new 60s versus 70s group. A lot of groovy stuff going on there. So before we get out of here, duelers, I want to thank Joe Finley for coming on the show tonight and competing, putting up a hell of a fight. Joe, why don't you tell everybody what they can expect coming up on the Miscast Commentary Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And this was a really fun one. So thanks for having me on it. But uh, you can find me always at miscast commentary. Uh, we are just wrapping up our uh, Marvel bit and we have a special guest coming up. I will be putting that announcement on Twitter at miscast podcast fairly shortly. Uh, our second podcast binge watchers on the wall is on the same feed. So if you are interested in that and we're interested in a rewatch slash reaction in real time of game of thrones then join us along for that it's along the same realm of miscast commentary it's all commentary based stuff but game of thrones this time so uh by all means check those out uh wherever you get your podcasts
2: all right duelers so we're gonna bid you a peace love light and a joy have a grateful week everyone
1: infirmary media